traveling by bus But I can't be bothered with a fuss today I gotta take my bike Cause once again the tube's on strike The greedy bastards want extra pay For sitting on their ass all day Even though they earn 30k So I'm standing here What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Rogue Opinions Podcast. You know, it's Jim, and uh, I'm here with Nathan Greenaway. Nathan, hi, buddy. Oh, hey, hey. Hey, what up, girl? Oh, my God, I've not seen you in ages. I know, it's been so long since we were able to, like, talk and be on a podcast together, and I'm really looking forward to it because we have a lot to talk about today. Oh, my God, we so do. And today we're going to be doing a little bit of double duty here, as you may or may not know if you've been listening to us on your podcast feed. Nathan and I, we lost uh, the uh, the predictions uh, uh, at the beginning of the month, so uh, we had to uh, watch the pilot episode of a show called Shasta McNasty, and we also decided to, uh, on air, uh, decide to uh, make sure that we were the ones to review New Japan's Royal Quest pay-per-view live from the Copper Box in London, England. So we're going to do this in, I think, two parts. Should be fun. Um, and we're going to start with New Japan and their show, Royal Quest, from the Copper Box in London. Now, Nathan, you watched this show. I watched mm. this show. Um, but you're actually in England. So uh, what can you tell the fine and fancy people that listen to our show about the Copper Box Arena? Well, the Copper Box Arena is in Hackney Wick, Hackney, and I know that because I have the website up, but I also, interesting fact for everyone that's keeping or wants to make a Wikipedia on me, I used to live near there. There you go. Interesting fact for everyone. Um, Hackney, yeah. Hackney Wick, London sounds so fucking British. It's just, it really it's does. Uh, it was... It was used uh, as part of the Olympic venues. They're being like that in the Queen Elizabeth Park, which was built for the 2012 Olympics. And it was basically built for handball and fencing and stuff like that. It's a really nice venue and everything like that. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a nice venue. Choice is a modern venue. It's held lots of very interesting events. One is close to old Jimmy Baxter's heart. The Counter Strike Go and Super Smash Bros. Melee Dream Hack in 2015. I know you were there, Jimmy. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I regularly will go internationally for uh, some of my favorite games tournaments just to watch. Uh, Super Smash Bros. Melee, of course, a uh, game I've played so many hours of. Um, and Counter Strike, I've played different versions of Counter Strike before. But uh, yeah, I mean, the Dream Hack in London, I mean, I mean, who hasn't been there? Who hasn't been? And if you've not been, shame on you. Yeah, damn right. And yeah, but it's a really, it's, it's generally a really, really nice venue. I have been in it. Uh, I didn't go to any event. I just sort of went around during kind of the Olympic time and when they were doing all, looking at all the venues and everything like that. And it's a really nice, it's a really nice place. And nice to see it still being used. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of the Olympic venues end up being unused after the games, but. When you look at the events that this one's held, it's definitely held some good ones. And New Japan Royal Quest is no different to that. Uh, yeah, I mean, depending on what your uh, what your definition yeah. of really good is. Shall um, we? Shall we? Because we both have said off might we enjoyed the ring work. Shall we do one bit where we just 
talk about the production or do you want to sprinkle it around the podcast? Well, yeah, I guess I guess we should just do it in, in one shot here because it, it it it's all over the show. So we would just end up repeating ourselves um, th- through the entirety of the first match and most of the second match. There was no commentary. Um, you could only hear like low whispers of commentary as it slowly built up the the, the feed cut out like the video. So sometimes you couldn't see the show and sometimes you couldn't hear the commentary. Um, I mean, the camera work was questionable at best through most of it, except for the main event for the IWGP heavyweight championship. It's as if they have a different production team when it comes to the title matches, because the title matches, like for the most part, looked way better than any of the other shit that was on this show. Yeah. Um, couldn't agree more on that. The commentary, like the show opens and you see the two commentators who, um, names are cut. Jimmy, do you know their names? It's just disappeared. It was Kevin Kelly and... It was Kevin Kelly and... Um, His name's some, gone, but they were... Some they were British guy. <laughs> yeah, they were talking to camera and you just couldn't hear anything they were saying. They looked super hyped, though, so points for that. But they then there was no commentary for ages. They clearly weren't told at times that we could hear them because they also, later in the show, would be like, well, no one can hear you. No one can hear us anyway and stuff like that a few times, but we could just about hear them, even if they did sound like they were slightly submerged at times. The camera work, sometimes they'd cut to a camera and it was just looking at something random or it was out of focus or people would be making their entrance and they'd be looking at the crowd or they'd be looking at another competitor. And it was just a mess production-wise. Why they made the choice to have the hard camera pointing at the ramp is beyond me because you could just see their production or their i presume it's their young lions or something but people that would have to come in the ring and start putting ice on people after their match and things like that which seems to be a new japan thing i'm guessing it's something that the young lions do uh to earn their way but they that you could see them moving down the ramp or you could see the high vis security people like at the top of the ramp which high vis is very distracting and catches your eye a lot <laughs> so yeah having yeah, someone stood at out the top of the ramp slightly out of focus in a highlighter colored jacket does catch your attention um i don't think it's worth talking in one shot because that's got nothing to do with the in-ring stuff obviously those guys don't deserve to be roped in with shoddy production um also, like when you, you you mentioned that they would cut to the crowd, literally every single time they cut to the crowd, they went to the most disinterested people in the audience. Like yeah, they didn't people, they they only ever went to the people. Like at one point, I'm sure they just went to some dude's girlfriend who dr- got dragged out to the show because she obviously did not want to be there or wasn't. Oh, was it the was it the blonde woman? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I remember that. And the guy was the guy was chanting like I think oh, it was someone's entrance, and he was chanting along, and she was just stood there like, "You're really cool, honey." <laughs> like, like she had this look on her face, like she was just like, "I let you fuck me." Like, ugh. I think it was Tanahashi's entrance. They did that, and they cut to, and the guy was in his Bullet Club shirt, so it was obviously cool. And he was just saying, go ace. And she was just sat there, like, sipping a drink. (laughs) And, yeah, like, it was, like, almost every single time 
that they cut to the audience, that they went to the most, to the people who weren't chanting, the people who weren't clapping, they were sitting down in their seats, but you could see people behind them or in front of them standing oh, up and being so into it's... it. And that, is one, would... that is one thing, this crowd was, this crowd was molten hot. Like, they were into every second of this, apart from one bit of the show, which we'll wait and get to. Absolutely. Um. So... We ended up opening the show um, with a big six-man tag match. Uh, Rapungi 3K, Rocky Romero, Shoinyo, who I've affectionately called the Battle Twinks. Um, <laughs> they, uh, they took on and defeated Rusuke Takaguchi, Shota Imuno, and Ren Narita. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it is going to be a very long podcast where I am going to be butchering some of these people's names, but not a big New Japan guy, so deal with us. Um, Shota... That is worth saying, before we go on, that is worth saying. You're not a big New Japan guy, and this is the first New Japan show I've ever watched start to finish. What a so, one to start on. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think it was Taguchi came out dressed as a uh, rugby player. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So that was cool. Um, and Shota Imuno, uh, they, they referenced... Um, they referenced John Moxley a little bit, uh, and they would also reference that later on in Juice Robinson and Kota Ibushi versus the Bullet Club um, as well, um, because the the ever the ever present aura of John Moxley was in the early portion of this show was mentioned quite a bit when you did actually hear commentary. You know, for two people who like were convinced that they couldn't be heard for most of the show, they were still putting in a shift on commentary. Like they were still talking about the match. Like they weren't over there just like. Yeah, man, I fucking went and got myself a fucking Nando's the other day or whatever it is that you guys do over there in the UK. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, 100%. They kept going. And even though they were towards the end, they kind of realized that, hey, this has been a balls up. Not many people have been able to hear us. They were still doing their jobs. So yeah. They, they still kept going, even though you couldn't hear them during this match. But this seemed to be a good opener uh, to Gucci. Uh, has an interesting offense. It involves a lot of his bum. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Which people kept pop every time he did it, everyone popped big for it. And then someone on the other team who I can't remember which one stole the move and it just got loads of heat. And I was here like, what? <laughs> it was uh, one of the battle twinks. Uh, he was in it was the black yeah, pants. Yeah. It was show or yo. I, I can't really. They, they, it's like it's like when you watch like a BTS video or something that you know that Korean <laughs> pop band, and like yeah, all yeah. of them. And I'm not I'm not trying to sound racist. I'm just saying that like they all look really similar to one another. And it's I can't tell. Like I have their Wikipedia's open, That's, and I couldn't yeah. pick one of them out of the lineup. Like I really It'd be the couldn't. same as if someone put the Usos in front of me and went, "Which one's Jimmy? Which one's Jay?" And I'd just be like. <laughs> Well, they're both drunk. Oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, Rocky Romero and Rapungi 3K, like they they end up uh, they get they get a huge reaction. I liked uh, the Rapungi Vice a little bit more than Rapungi 3K, which was uh, Rocky Romero's former team uh, with somebody else who's moved on. I can't be bothered to really remember who his tag team partner was beforehand. But now he has the Battle Twinks, and they do. Uh, they do like a big trios thing from time to time. And I, I like Sho and Yo. I liked them a lot when I first saw them at um, Wrestle Kingdom 12, I think. 
uh, was the first time I saw them, and uh, they're fun. They're they're a lot of fun to watch, but they do look like very strong uh, Cabana Boys uh, for Mr. Rocky Romero, and they end up getting I'd like the win. Nice for a night out with them. Oh, definitely. I would love to go and try and grab a beer with Rocky Romero. He looks like he'd be a fun fucking time for sure. Hundred percent. And uh, yeah, show Oyo. What I, I see, even in my notes, I don't. I'm the same as you. I don't know which one's which. I've written show Oyo one with a power bomb into a backbreaker onto someone. It yeah, wasn't to cheat. It was one of the other ones. I think it was Narita, but I could be wrong. That'll do. Yeah, they went eight minutes and twenty seconds. Um, not very long for an opener, but I don't think this really needed to be long. Um, the the in ring was was fun and fine. I think this match definitely could have benefited from having commentary, uh, especially for people who don't watch it as often. Um, it was, but- yeah, it was weird just watching wrestling without commentary. It kind of took me quite a second to. Getting adjusted is the wrong way, but watching wrestling without commentary is an odd thing because we're so incredibly used to hearing people talking over it. And I think that'd be the same for any sport when you sit at home. I think whether you you were watching NFL, uh, which I say that because I was watching a load of it over the weekend, or if you're watching football, soccer over here in the UK, or um, anything, because for a bit of a to disappear into the weeds, as Eric Bischoff likes to say on 83 Weeks. Sometimes in when the BBC over here in the UK, they get Wimbledon, uh, the tennis, and they'll put every single match. You'll be able to get a live feed of every match that's going on at any one time, which is tens of them. Um, so sometimes you'll pick like something on a very outside court, so a low down court. You'd be like, oh, that looks like it'd be a good match. But they don't put commentators there. So you're just watching tennis without commentary. And it's a really weird thing. Because <laughs> it's just like you expect to hear someone talking. And I think that was the same for me when I started watching wrestling uh, the first match and I realized there was no commentary. I was like, this is a really different experience. (laughs) Yeah, um, it is. It is rather weird to be watching from home without commentary. I mean, I've done shows for uh, I've done commentary for shows like at home, uh, like in post and stuff. So I'm a little more used to it. But um, seeing what is supposed to be like a pay-per-view quality live streamed event. Um, and not have the commentary there uh, was a little jarring, definitely, at first. So just for the people that might be interested in that, you've done posts on shows. You've done commentary on shows in post. Yeah, loads of it, yeah. What's what's that like? Um, Essentially, uh, I mean, in my experience, uh, the promoter will send over, like, an unlisted uh, playlist from YouTube, and we just sort of will watch the raw footage of the match and we'll do the best that we can. And it's it's like in-studio post uh, recording. You just call the matches if you're there. Uh, you you want to be able to, you know, make it sound. Because, like, after they're done blending the audio into the finished product, uh, it'll sound like you're there. Like, uh, for example, if you go on smartmarkvideo.com and you order the first unsanctioned pro um, show, uh, my commentary partner at the time, Scott Ceridi and I did commentary for that show in my apartment, like a month and a half after the show had ended. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So like 
there's like a big like 85 pounds of Lego deathmatch on that show that like we were not I mean he was in Ohio to do uh, ring announcing but I hadn't gone out there to do commentary and uh, we sat around and we watched the entire show and literally the setup I have now we just recorded it into uh, I use audacity so we just did what I'm doing now with the microphone I'm using right now uh, and just called commentary and it sounds like we're there like it literally sounds like we're there <laughs> yeah there's a lot you, you can work with audio definitely if um it, if you get it if you get it recorded well which uh, you must have done using audacity and a proper microphone and everything but <laughs> just just to go back you're gonna need to unpick something for me there an 85 pound lego match yeah um they i i believe i may be getting this wrong but uh at the time time there was like a poll put out for what's like the kind of stipulation you want for the main event and lego won the poll um because i i've called matches before where there's like thumbtack matches and barbed wire matches and barefoot light tube matches and whatever and um this was a barefoot uh not it may not have been barefoot i'm not remembering too well but um it was a lego death match so the promoter went out and bought like 85 pounds of legos and um <laughs> like essentially like put them in like uh like a shopping cart and they used them throughout the match and it's something to behold like it really is like there is so much legos in this match i think it was um marcus crane who just went over with gcw and did uh some japanese death matches with a couple people um and they, yeah, Marcus Crane was in that match, and it was, it. Have you ever stepped on a Lego barefoot? I have. I was just gonna bring that up when you finished. Yeah, it hurts. So yeah. I hope it was barefoot. Yeah, it's real bad. They uh, Legos have now like become part of like this deathmatch like lexicon that people use, where like they'll like super glue them to plant like planks of wood. So it's like yeah. having like a barbed wire board, but instead it's Legos because Legos hurt so fucking bad. Like I've he heard from guys like Schlack and Marcus Crane and Casanova Valentine, all these like big deathmatch wrestlers, that like it is more painful to land on Legos than it is to get barbed wire on your back or in your foot or like to them, like to people who do it uh, frequently. And I just think that that's fucking hilarious that a child's toy hurts more than chicken wire, like razor wire. I think, and I, I can't remember uh, if I've heard someone say this or if I've said it before myself, but I think I heard someone say this before and, it's from ages ago. Sorry, I can't remember. But um, someone basically said that Lego in death matches, if I have heard of before, they started doing it because everyone has stepped on Lego. Yeah, so it's everyone, like a, everyone knows what that feels like. Yeah, exactly. Like everybody is like whether you're babysitting somebody or you were a kid yourself and you stepped on it like it. You every it's re very relatable that if yeah. you step on a Lego, it's the same it's as stepping hurts. on a plug. Oh, actually, that's probably not the same for you, for the Americans. You have different plugs. But over here, like, everyone has ended up accident because we have three-pronged plugs. So you'd, everyone has stepped on one. And it's a thing over here. But, um, but yeah, everyone has stepped on Lego, and it's horrible. So just horrible bricks. Um, but 
That's really one one day, Jimmy, and this is a promise to everyone listening. We're gonna have to do a podcast where we just go through all, where we just talk about weird matches you've commentated on. Oh, there, have, there's a few. We're just going to have to do that. We're going to have to sit down. And even though we're friends, we're gonna, I'm going to have to interview you and find out some of the weird. Because every podcast we do, you pull out something new. And he's just pulled out an 85-pound Lego match. <laughs> yeah, 85 pounds of Lego deathmatch. Yeah. Um, we're, we're yeah. They, put that on the back burner. That will happen. Jimmy will talk us through. Yeah, yeah. We looked at. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Believe me, I I commentated the uh, uh, that that clip that's going around of uh, that had gone around last year of uh, the wrestlers who did like they dove off of like the top uh, of like this thing in an, in an auditorium onto a a trampoline that was completely made of barbed wire. Oh, you! <laughs> I saw that. Yeah, I I I called that match. The not the GCW one. There's a VOW Bloodthirsty is the show that it originated on, and I called that match in post from my apartment. We'll put that on the back burner. <laughs> within the next few weeks or a month's time, we will do a podcast where I will quiz Jimmy on some weird shit he's looked at. But uh, I'll have to go back and remember all the shit that I've called. Well, you've got time now. We'll do it. We'll do it in the next month or so because we've got a lot of content coming up, but we'll get that at the end. Um, that was the first match, though, and we didn't. Yeah. Um, the Twinks and Rocky Romero one. Battle Twinks. The Battle Twinks, and good God, this isn't the first podcast I've done where I've talked about Twinks, and uh, <laughs> and it won't be the last, my friend. It will it not won't be, be the last. <laughs> but speaking of speaking of Twinks, I bet he was when he was younger. Was Kotrabushi and Juice Robinson were up next, and they took on the Bullet Club. Uh, apologies if I butcher this, but I think it's your hero, uh, Takahashi and Haikulio, who's a very, very tall man. And uh, yeah, another tag match. This was the interesting part of New Japan where I realized that although the crowd was super hot for this, so when I start, well, I'll be very, there's parts of this show that I didn't like, but I didn't like it because I don't like the New Japan style. So I'm not going to go too hard on it because the crowd fucking loved it so i'm obviously in the minority there but i didn't like the format of loads of tag matches being first but this match i thought was kind of forgettable kosha bushi is incredibly over everyone fucking loved him juice robinson played with his nipples at one point and i missed him when he had dreads like he did in nxt yeah. and other than high coolio being really tall I don't remember a whole lot about this match, but I thought Takahashi was the guy that always had the Bullet Club bunny, and I didn't get to see the Bullet Club bunny. I I I couldn't tell you. Uh, maybe I'm you. maybe I'm wrong on that, but I just don't <laughs> I just don't remember a whole lot about this match, Jimmy. <laughs> um. Something that something that came across to me was that it's very interesting that Kota Ibushi has moved on and found himself another guy gene to tag with and like fall in love with because now Kota Ibushi is now have to move on from Kenny Omega after Kenny Omega left Japan and uh, Juicer Robinson Juicer Robinson is not as bad as I remember him being from his NXT days. Um, he's way over now. Um, way, way better of a wrestler, especially that he's tagging with Abushi. And it came across not only that Abushi is super over, but he is easily one of the best wrestlers on the planet. 
and that he's able to call his shots so frequently where he's not really there was a period of time where he wasn't really under contract to anywhere. All he wanted to do was work some places every once in a while, but he only is really, um, he's only really like faithful to DDT. And that's interesting that like, Hey, listen, love what you love and everything. And DDT is a lot of fun to watch from time to time. But the fact that Kota Ibushi like gets to call his shot, it just shows how big of a star and how good of a wrestler this guy is that he's able to, he was able to come in and work for WWE for what yeah. three episodes of the cruiserweight classic and then just fuck off and do whatever he wanted to do. Uh, yeah. I can, I actually couldn't agree more with that. It's a guy. He's a guy who loves, he just loves to, well, he must do. I, I don't know him. So I don't want to speak of it like a fact. He just loves to enjoy himself mm-hmm. um, in what he's doing because this guy could be making, well, if he went to AEW or WWE, which either company would want him, we know WWE made an offer to him, and we 100% know that AEW would want him, slash have probably, I would be 99% sure, probably have made him an offer, um, that he could be making millions, literal millions, um, in WWE and AEW cases, but he turned WWE down, and I'm just presuming AEW have made him an offer. Is he ex- he's not exclusively contracted to New Japan at all, is he? Not that I'm aware of. No, I I just know so that he shows up places. He just he just loves he just loves to wrestle and loves to have fun. So all the power in the world to him. Uh, checking my notes, I have written. <laughs> I've just written. Ibushi is strangely beautiful. He really is. Uh, yeah, I mean, we bring him back a thing from the past. We Finn Balor, we would always call him throbbing. Um, I'm gonna check. I'm gonna. I'm gonna deduct points from Finn Balor now because he's married. And uh, I don't know if Coach Ibushi's married. I don't want to check because it'll ruin it for me. And I'm just gonna say he's now throbbing. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I think. I think Kotobushi is like the most like in shape person I've ever seen. Like he is just so well yeah. put together. Like the the guy is just a wrestling machine. I think he might be a machine. I think if we cut that skin, there's an android under there. Because I refuse to believe someone can look like that and be real. That was me tapping the uh. The Terminator. Well, you didn't terminate a clan. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were. Uh, Koto Ibushi did actually get the full. Um, if I actually bothered to read my notes, I sit here and I'm like, I don't remember this match. I wrote stuff down. Uh, he won with uh, he used to, he, uh, Ho, Hokulio or Hikulio. I hope I'm saying that right. Was on his knees. Koto Ibushi got both his arms, big knee to the head, and uh, for the one, two, three. A very impactful finish. I really like that finisher because as soon as I read it, I remember it. I thought it looked cool. It looks realistic as hell. Everyone mm-hmm. can be shaking a big whack to the head as we were talking about with the Lego. I really like that. And I know a few people do things like that, but it's not a finish. I like to see. I like to see stuff like that as a finish because it just looks. It looks like it will knock you out, even though I am one hundred percent certain Ibushi is doing that as safely as possible and Hikulio probably doesn't feel a thing. Um, that was just a really cool, really cool finish. 
Juice Robinson. All I remember from him was just him playing with his nipples at one point. <laughs> Did he come out dressed as uh, he came out just a pit? I he you know what you, you remember the the video for Elton John's "I'm Still Standing." I'm still that yeah that song i did he looked to me like that's what he came out dressed as he may well have done and then like uh, his pants kept making me think of a cow uh yeah there was a lot of weird gear on this show yeah definitely like, uh, i've made some comments on it as we go forward but yeah there's a lot of weird gear uh i'm just looking up i'm still standing yeah, he did kind of the same sort of hat, but no, it's not Elton John's. I'm but still like, standing, but like the jacket too, sort of look, sort of look the same. I don't know. I, I don't know. That's what it made me think of at like one thirty in the morning when I was watching this match. What a match! Now with it being New Japan, there's nothing in between this stuff. Uh, we're just on straight to the next matches, so we we literally aren't missing the in between stuff if you're used to the WWE format, but. Uh, chaos or up next chaos with william osprey and robbie eagles against the bullet club who were taiji ishimori and el phantasmo el phantasmo who though i've not seen a lot of him i know there is a absolute ton of hype around this guy rightfully uh, so though he was he was very good uh he yeah, was he able was, to keep up with the likes of will osprey in this match and that's not easy to do so some great, yeah, there was some great, great stuff. Commentary just to do, I know we said we weren't going to do too much, but commentary became a little bit better at this point in the show, I thought. And yeah, Osprey is obviously over as hell. Robbie Eagles presumably is kind of just because he's with Will Osprey. I like the double Spanish fly spot that they did at one point. I thought that was cool. And otherwise, this was just a good match. And it was more of a thing about Will Ospreay and Robbie Eagles being from the UK and probably just getting a nice home crowd or a hometown win on the cards because Ospreay then straight away cuts a promo straight after. But what did you make of the match? Um, I liked... Uh, okay, I liked it. Uh, I like Taiji Ishimori a lot. Uh, I've seen uh, like a handful of his matches, uh, I believe... For, it might have been the junior heavyweight title or it was the never openweight title. He was like one of the 19 titles that's in New Japan. Uh, I've seen like a handful of those matches and I like Taiji Ishimori a lot. Um, I I think Will Ospreay needs to learn how to sell a little bit uh, because uh, Will Ospreay, um, like he wrestled David Starr the night before for 40 straight minutes and then comes in here and is just sort of bouncing around being Will Ospreay. And I get that he's the face and he's like the home country boy and whatnot. And you got to like you get that that feeling or whatever. But like there are times where like his selling, even like the little bit of selling that he did do seemed disingenuous and almost clown like. Um, and like y- you shouldn't be able to hit an Oz cutter after taking like really serious hard offense and i get that that's the will osprey thing robbie eagles i'm not a like i i don't really know who he is uh he was able to hold on to his uh like his bib the whole show the whole match rather like he didn't lose his his uh handkerchief thing um 
And yeah, I mean, th- this match was, you know, it was cool. Like, it was good. Uh, I, li- I like Will Ospreay. I really do. But I really feel like if he need if he wants to move up more, at least in my eyes, like, you know, for all that matters, that, like, he's got to try and sell things a little bit more. I don't know. Maybe at least, maybe this match isn't the right benchmark to look at for his selling because I am a fan of his. It's just, like, I don't know. I, I like the match, but overall it was okay. I think with this match, like, um, with Will Ospreay, he's from the same the same county of the UK that I'm from. He's from Essex as well. And where this arena, the Copper Box Arena and everything, it's it over in Hackney in the sort of Stratford area. That's very, very close by. So we are talking near as damn it, literal hometown, which, give it being the UK, that's a, that's a lot smaller than, obviously, America and everywhere like that. So we're, Will Ospreay will be about... 30 to 45 minute drive from his from his literal hometown probably uh i get what you mean about the david star thing the night before but that brings up a different question which is maybe for a different podcast if with technology being how it is you know that he wrestled david star the night before for 40 plus minutes should independent wrestlers on bigger independent shows start thinking are expecting the crowd to be aware of that aware of that and start selling thinking the crowd will know that do you think or is, well or, or not do you not think the crowd's quite that knowledgeable enough i only bring it up uh because kevin kelly brought it up on commentary um that he had oh, wrestled shit. that he had wrestled Sorry. david Starr the night before for 40 minutes um it i think that we live yes i do i definitely think as for your question as a whole i definitely think that because of technology today that i'm guaranteeing most of those fans knew that he wrestled david star the night before um other than like the guy's girlfriends who got dragged out to the copper box for a night out (laughs) um but it's fine it's fine jimmy there's a lot of very nice bars nearby (laughs) i'm sure there is um i think I think that most of those people who were in attendance knew that he had wrestled the night before. Um, and that I think that should play into it a little bit, especially when you're up against one of the biggest indie stars in the world and the fact that you went for so long. And the fa- yeah. I think it makes El Phantasmo and Taiji Ishimori look weaker that he can go out there, wrestle for 40 minutes the night before this big show and then come in and like, hop all around you and make you look like trash. Like I'm not saying that he did make them look like trash, but I think that with the, the knowledge that he had wrestled the night before for so long and that he was able to get the win, they were able to get the win in 10 and a half minutes here. And, um, El Phantasmo just won the super J cup. Like you're, you're not going to get longer out of it like i don't know and at this point during the show this is three straight matches in a row where the baby faces won and it was the third straight tag team match in a row so, uh, out of five yeah well that just seems to be um just to, sorry if i'm cutting you off there that, no, just no, seems no. To be, that just seems to be the new japan format because looking i did a little bit of looking back at other shows and they they do seem to chuck the tag matches out first in order so that's obviously a new japan thing but i do agree with you someone that hasn't watched a whole new japan show from start to finish i was by the end of the final tag match which we'll get to in two matches time 
I was a little bit like, can I not watch someone reach for a hot tag for a wee bit? Um, but that just seems to be the New Japan way. And um, people love it. Like, the fans loved it. Uh, I would have, although we've just talked about Will Ospreay's selling, and I do kind of agree. And again, as I mentioned on the AEW podcast, which check back through the feed for the AEW all all out all out review yes i'm right there all out review um and i said it on there i really why is everyone's finisher or special move a fucking cutter will osprey did a slingshot one during this which he got an insane amount of height on by the way good well yeah that's yeah he's he must have springs it where his achilles tendon must must be like he just is able to like when he he hit uh i think it was he hit uh, Taiji Shimori with a move that to the outside and the way he was just sort of like I'm mimicking it I know you can't see me but I'm mimicking it where yeah. he was able to bounce around the outside like he looked like he was seven and a half feet tall because oh, he was like just he goes into slow motion like it, I think when he did this springboard he did the springboard cutter which they called it something but it's, it's the Oz cutter from, I think like, Oz cutter so yeah yeah it was and it just felt like he stopped for a second in midair like I was watching it and I was like Holy shit, that guy nearly touched the ceiling. Like, he has hops for days. And, um, but I did enjoy this match, though. It has to be said that I did enjoy it. And I will, I will agree with you that Will Ospreay, you, you don't get the sense that he's in trouble when he's the guy. In a tag match, there will be always be someone that will get beaten down for like eight to but what well, is match only 10 minutes so four to five minutes there'll always be the one of the faces will get beaten down but will Ospreay, with the way he sells i never got the sense that he was in trouble at any yeah. point which if you listen to and i only bring up steve austin because i literally listened to his podcast that came out the day earlier and he brought he always brings up ricky morton one of the midnight express rock and roll express rock and roll uh, express Rock and Roll Express, anyway, says that he's the best seller. You always get the sense that he's in peril because of the way he sells. I never got that with Will Ospreay. I never thought he was in trouble. And maybe that's because I know where Will Ospreay lives so local to the arena. So I figured he was going to win. So that might be partly me knowing my geography of England. Uh, but other than that, I actually really enjoyed this match. Yeah, I enjoyed it as well. Uh, I definitely think it could have dealt with maybe another five minutes or so. Um, I would have liked to see them maybe, you know, pull. Uh, I mean, I, this is definitely obviously with the promo that uh, Osprey cut afterwards. They're definitely leading to them challenging for the junior tag belts, which is fine. Um, I'm all for that. I'm all for seeing Osprey and Eagles go for those tag belts. Um, but I think this match could have dealt with a few extra minutes. Um and yeah, if I had to like equate it to something, um, I would equate it to Ready Player One, the movie, where like I never once for a second in that movie thought the main characters were in danger. And in this match, I never once thought Will Ospreay was in danger at all, like at all. Yeah, I would agree with that rating. I think Ready Player One is is about right. That's where you want it. There was a lot of fake danger. Is what I'm yeah. gonna call it. There's a lot and of then, things uh, that work. Yeah, I mean it's it's not it's not great when like the baby face is the one pulling you out of it a little bit because you're supposed to try and get behind them, 
And I am a fan of Will Ospreay, but it's just, just I don't know. I don't know. But, but that's that yeah. match. That is that match. Absolutely, that is that match. So we will we will move on, and there's nothing in between. So the next match is uh, God. I'm not uh, uh, I, I, yeah, I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. It's Los Ingobernables de Japón, Tetsuya Naito and Sonata versus uh, the Bullet Club, Jay White and Chase Owens. Um, Chase Owens uh, is a guy that looks like he's never seen the inside of a gym, um, and uh, Sonata. Oh, you know- you noted that as well. Oh, oh yeah. Um, I will. I will tell you word for word what I wrote down about this. I put. Well, I said some stuff about Jay White, which we'll get to in a minute. Mostly, it's how beautiful he is. And then I wrote down Chase Owens looks flumpy. <laughs> he looked. I'm sure he. The commentators who you could hear at this point, they were saying about how he's an amazing te- uh, amateur wrestler. And I was just like, why is the guy wearing tight trousers? Because he he had a bit of, bit of overhanging belly, did he not? He had a, yeah, he had a he had a cute little muffin top going on the entire the entire match. Um, I don't know if it's just because he's maybe he's been on tour with New Japan or something, but uh, he's been uh, he's been tanning some peach cobblers. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Night- Naito is fantastic as always. He's super fucking over. Um, Sonata looks like they left. He left his head out in the sun for too long because he is shiny. Um, that that Sonata. hair is. Oh my god! I thought he was part man, part lion. That guy is. Good God! The mane on that guy, and then the beard as well. Good yeah, god. it's all the one color, and it's just. Oh. Yeah, it's it's intense. And for somebody who uh for for somebody who preaches about, you know, like the the whole um tranquilo thing, Naito was very like jumpy and fast-paced and just sort of like you know, I mean, he would do the whole like I'm hanging out. I mean, granted he turned the wrong way to the hard cam when he did his little pose, which I'm sure, you know, Probably wasn't great. Though. Yeah, I mean, who knows, but uh I don't know. Like, like, like I was saying earlier on that, like at this point I was so done with seeing faces win. And I figured this was probably going to be the best opportunity to see the heels win other than when the girl is a destiny wrestle. Um, because, uh, new Japan seems to love Jay white for reasons who looks like his facial hair just came in for the first time. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't get the whole Jay white thing at all uh is that something that you noted as well yeah i did i actually i wrote a few things about jay white first off i wrote jay white looks like if drew mcintyre and elias had a baby yeah uh, which yeah. I, I think <laughs> yeah i think it i think that's fair they were 100 percent protecting him because i wrote a lot of stuff in this match that i noticed like the hands the handshake spot between chase owens and I want to say Sonada, um, but I didn't know. That. I think yeah, it was Sonada. Uh, then because they did all the stuff with the Paradise Lock, which I I don't know if that's a New Japan thing. I've only seen Jack Gallagher, or it's actually Gallagher if you're over here in the UK. Uh, do it on Two Hundred Five Live. It's the lock where you apparently wrap someone's hands around their legs and then push them over so they're on their belly, and apparently the 
wrestling logic is that if you pull your hands, it tightens the lock. Basically, it apparently makes you so you can't use your legs or something like that. It's a very it's a, you have to very much lose your uh, lose yourself in the belief of what wrestling is to get it. And Jay White, I just read Jay White was done with this horse shit at one point. Which is the bit where they were doing all the Paradise Lock stuff and Jay White just ran in to beat the shit out of everyone. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Jay White definitely seemed to be the serious person. And kind of the vibe, I, the very much vibe I got from him is that he's meant to be, if WWE made Baron Corbin more of a badass, even though Jay White is in no way the size of Baron Corbin. Baron Corbin is a giant human being. But that's kind of the vibe I got was that they're just bar- he was just very he's very much Baron Corbin. He would just beat the shit out of everyone and not give a fuck and kind of be like a human troll. And it kind of felt like Naito and Sonada, although they ended up getting the win. Spoiler alert. Um, they got the win. Jay White was so protective. He was never in trouble at any point during this match. He was never beaten down. He was never taking the big moves. He was just, he was protected 100%. Uh, it, did, did you notice that as well? Yeah. Um, I just want to go back and talk about the Paradise Lock thing for a second. Oh it, my it's God. I fucking, hate it. I hate it's fucking it. stupid. It is the stupidest fucking thing I've ever seen. Are you serious? Like, you can't Have take I, your legs out. I don't, like, I, don't think I, I don't think I explained this right. So. If you've not seen the Paradise Lock, what it is is you basically turn the other person into a pretzel. So their leg is stuck under one of their knees, and the their sorry, their arm is stuck under one of their knees, and their other arm is stuck under their other knees. Your limbs are not involved. You're basically pretzeling this person, and then rolling them over so you're not touching them anymore. And apparently they lose all function of their limbs, so they're stuck. Now Jack Gallagher or Gallagher. Uh, does this in a co- used to do this as a comedy spot, but you've got Sonada who, at the end of this show, spoiler alert, is going to be declaring he's the number one contender to your main title. Doing this comedy lock, I don't now the people fucking love this, so this is clearly a new Japan thing that I'm not getting because the people were very much into this, so I'm not saying it's bad. I just don't get it, and I I hate I hate this sort of thing. I think it's I think it's I think you can't lose yourself your you can't lose yourself in this sort of thing because it's so unbelievable, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I totally one hundred and ten percent agree with you on this because I thought it was the dumbest fucking thing I have seen in a wrestling match in a long time, and I work for a promotion where the guy who's the current general manager is a man who wears a hot dog suit why is that hang on what why is that funny like it's just that the fact that the the fact that i work for a company where in storyline the company is being run by a hot dog is less unbelievable and less silly to me than the paradise lock is like i had to um I had to go to work in a Pikachu onesie for a week not long ago, like last year, because I lost a bet. And I, I was I'm the manager of that entire team. So I was doing I was doing meetings in a Pikachu suit. 
No, that's just adorable. Oh, it was amazing. Like, I was so warm. Um, I'm sure. I was cozy, but I was delivering like um. But I was I did have to have proper meetings where I was like I had to go get changed. But I lost a bet, so I had to do a, a whole five day five day work week wearing a Pikachu costume. That's, it was great. It's fun. That sounds like fun. It was um, fun. And yeah, I don't know. Like, I just don't think that like you need to sacrifice. Like you were saying, like Sonata is now declaring himself the number one contender to the IWGP heavyweight championship or whatever. Um, I fell asleep through large portions of this of the show. <laughs> so there are gaps in my knowledge for this show. Um, but if you're going to have him putting a comedy move onto an opponent and then just, I don't know, an hour and a half later, he's like, by the way, now I need to be taken super seriously it's like, no, you lion man looking motherfucker. Like, you're not serious to me right now. How am I? Dude, if he goes to put that fucking move onto Okada, like. Oh, he won't. Surely New Japan don't go that direction. Not even WWE do that sort of stuff in their title matches. Surely they wouldn't. Would they? Oh, because you I, got worried now. <laughs> I don't, I don't know, dude. Like. I honestly don't know. I mean, I liked portions of this match. I dig the Destino, the um, Nido's finisher. Um, But like, I like the I like Nido's one. I thought the one that he did to because Jay White attacked them all after with a chair, and I like the one that he did on Jay White where it was like a spin around into a into a reverse DVT or a Scorpion Death Drop. That was yeah. So Destino. Oh, is that sorry? Sorry, sorry. Um. Yeah, and I I dug all of that. I like the character work that Naito was doing because he's always very in character. Um, Jay White, just I don't get it. I still don't get it. I don't understand why they're pushing him as like this top star, former IWGP heavyweight champion. Like he beat, I think he beat Okada for the title or he beat fucking Kenny Omega or somebody for the title. And like Tanahashi, he beat fucking Tanahashi. Like, Like, what? I, I just don't get it. I, do, you, I don't... do you get do you get Baron Corbin vibes from him as well? Uh, one more time, I didn't catch that. Sorry. Do you get Baron Corbin vibes from him? Um, no. Uh, he's not. He's, like... not as, he's not as big as Baron Corbin. Baron Corbin is Baron Corbin is legit, and I think they've tried to avoid doing it now. Whenever I watch WWE TV, he's legit as tall as Braun Strowman. Like he's shoot brother brother. He's as tall as Braun Strowman. And uh but I got that vibe where they're really trying to protect him. Yeah, I mean they definitely are for sure. Like they are they even on commentary, they are talking him up like he is their next big thing. You know, he's gonna be their guy for a little while. Which cool, get behind somebody, that's fine. But like I just I don't know, I don't get it. I just don't get it. Yeah, what, can we talk about Naito for a second? No, of course. This is this is a me thing, so this isn't a legitimate thing. This guy comes out, good-looking boy, in what a cape and a white suit, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, shit, we've got ourselves Al Pacino, a Godfather, we've got ourselves a real gangster motherfucker. 
in a crisp white suit. He looks all cool. He takes off his gear and he's just got short tights. He starts doing flippy shit. Mm-hmm. I was, I don't have a point to this, but I just thought his entrance between his in-ring actions really left me with something. I thought he was going to, like, I don't know, just be a real badass gangster motherfucker. And he was just a flippy flip. And yeah, I was disappointed. I feel like his entrance gear gave off a vibe that he didn't have in the ring. This comes up a couple of times on this show. Like, uh, it comes up in the main event again, too. When they disrobe, there's, like, this big, like, yeah, Like, he's just taking his pants off, dude. Like, he's just taking the trousers off to get into his ring gear. Like... Yeah, but he's wearing like a crisp white suit. I thought he was going to Scarface or something. Like he was just going to be some cool gangster guy, but he just ended up being this really flippy flop guy. And I don't know. I just thought he was going to be something that he wasn't. I mean, I'm yeah. just lost when it comes to a lot of this stuff. Like I don't get some of the stuff. Like I'm not exactly against work rate and stuff, but I feel like New Japan could deal with some variety. And I don't think. Uh, Taguchi's like ass moves are enough yeah. for me to, to think that there's a lot of variety on this this show in particular. Um, I don't know. I like Naito, and but he was like one of four people in this match, and the other three just sort of did not land for me as well. And I don't know. They go about 13 minutes. And Los Ingobernables stay up and get the win. And I'm just like, cool. So other than the one guy, the one team that I knew was definitely going to win, spoiler, Gorilla's a Destiny beat Aussie Open. No shit. Um, what? But like, could, could we not have had like uh, like a like a shenanigan-y kind of finish to this and have Jay White and Chase Owens go over? Get a little, like, because I said this to you off air before. There are eight matches on this show. Six of them are won by faces. Why? Yeah, there was, there was. I I got the sense that this show wasn't a hundred percent. Kind of, I just I just don't think they're going to reference this show a lot. I got the sense that it was something like you remember when WWE went to Australia, and I'm sorry for referencing WWE a lot, but I don't have a lot to pull from. When it comes to this stuff, you remember when WWE went to Australia and they just never really talked about it much after, other than a couple of things? Yeah, let's get this that it's going to be kind of like that. Uh, I don't, but I don't know enough to say that for different for death. I think in the tag team stuff, definitely because no tag team titles were on the line in this entire show and they seem to have a lot. The gorillas of destiny. The gorillas of destiny did defend their tag oh, team. Oh fuck! I've just lied. Yeah, you're right. Okay, fucking ignore me. I just made that. I'm gonna. I'm gonna leave this in, but I just made some shit up. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so um, I just don't feel like they're gonna talk about this show a lot, though. In the sense, I just. I don't know. I feel like this was a test of water kind of thing to see how the UK would respond. I guess. Yeah. I mean. They, they, they haven't had a lot of success when they leave Japan um, as far as like reception and like stuff like that. But I, I don't know. I mean, the fans seem to enjoy it, but also the UK fans, you guys in general are just a hotter crowd regardless. Like you guys love the wrestling. 
and you love well, when we don't we don't get a lot of like the wwe come twice a year so and we always turn up for that heads they did the they did occasionally do a big title change that they had aj styles win the title in manchester um on the worst day in wrestling history not long ago and um because jinder mahal lost the wwe title no, I know. And... I was I was just not going to mention it because we'll spend the rest of the podcast <laughs> arguing about how shit Jinder Mahal is. No, we won't. Because uh, I'll win. And uh-huh. yeah, we all... <laughs> considering considering you're editing this. Yes, you will win. <laughs> when I edit your voice out. <laughs> yeah, you just take everything else out unless I say the words like I and love and Jinder Mahal. And yeah. I'll just piece it together. It's a bit. I love Jinder Mahal. <laughs> just I love gender Mahal. Gender Mahal. <laughs> love I. <laughs> but uh but yeah, other than that, we don't tend to we just don't get a lot. So we get like some of the companies come once a year or WWE come twice a year and I think that might change with AEW. I think they'll probably they'll they'll definitely come over here at some point because they've got a big fan base over here. Uh as well so they'll definitely come and then maybe hopefully that won't water down the uk crowds but you always get a hot crowd over here especially on the big shows and they got a hot crowd but i think this was a good match they were definitely protecting jay white and the crowd was super interesting night on some win as well so it probably wasn't the wrong choice to have them go over because jay white jay white got his heat back brother brother yeah, I mean, you got to get that heat back at the end, especially when the, the, the company can't be bothered to book you into a win. Like, when all <laughs> this was was just a tag match. Like, it wasn't... Like, you were on the right track when you were saying that, like, this really this was just sort of a match, and it didn't really need to be where Jay White and Chase Owens lost. They could have won by, like, screwy means. They're in the fucking Bullet Club, and nobody in the Bullet Club cheated to win. Like, what? Yeah. That was something I kind of noted. There wasn't a lot of rule. This was another thing. I don't know what the rules are. And I know that there is a... Because Dave Meltzer has talked about this before. In New Japan, he said his least favorite thing about New Japan is that they treat the referees like they're idiots. Oh, for sure. That was very apparent, and he's on the record saying that, that he loves New Japan, but he hates the way they treat the referees. And that was very apparent during these tag matches. Like, you could just do whatever the fuck you want, really. Yeah, especially during the next match, um, which I guess we'll just start talking about now. Yeah, Gorillas of Destiny, Destiny, Tamatanga, and Tangaloa defending the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Championships. Uh, with Jado, uh, defended them against Ozzy Open, Kyle Fletcher, and Mark Davis. I'm not too familiar with Ozzy Open, but I did kind of fall in love with them during this match. I kind of really, really love them. Um, uh, but yeah, they. I lost track of who was like legal, like several times right. during this match. That's my note. That was my note from this match as well. And uh, just to because we haven't mentioned it in production. Yeah, I'm going to mention it now. So I'm sorry for going back to production. New Japan refused to pay for certain music rights. And oh, yeah. Aussie Opens was one of them. Will Ospreay's was another one. I don't think there was another one on the show. No, I think as far the as I know, it was, it was those just Aussie two. Open and... 
Chaos. you would get this edited in music that was 10 times louder than the music played in the arena through the arena speakers uh, for Will Ospreay and for Aussie Open. And then you would just get big white letters. Uh, I think it said music changed because of rights issues. Music altered due to music rights was what it said. There you go. There you go. And uh, yeah, so... And just another production note. I just thought it's weird. Like, surely it's not expensive. You're not telling me that Will Ospreay's music is elevated by the band's gone out of my head, but I know it's called Elevated. It can't be that much. <laughs> just fork out. You're in the UK. But, uh, but yeah, you've not seen much. Of, I've never seen Aussie Open before, but I became a fan by the end of this match. I thought they were really good. Yeah, really solid uh, babyface team. I really enjoyed uh, some of their um, some of their like combined like efforts. You know, like the the bigger guy um, was that Mark Davis. Mark Davis. Mark Davis. Like for a big guy, like he is agile as a motherfucker. Like really fun. Kyle Fletcher too. Kyle Fletcher almost looks like um, if they stretched uh, Will Osprey a little bit more. To me, I don't re- exactly remember <laughs> certain Sorry, things that about him. Took me a second because I was imagining that. But yeah, you're kind of right. <laughs> like, um, they had the same sort of haircut going on. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Carl Fletcher, I think the seven commentary is only 22. So we're talking young AF. And they've been around the UK scene for quite a while now probably a couple of years and they were talking on commentary about how they took a risk to come here because the aussie scene is uh not great uh they've done great things and they've been used great around the uk scene and have put on killer matches they won a tournament to get here where i think in the final they beat uh, revolution pro josh bodum who we don't need to talk about because i know that he's not a very nice man at the moment and Shah Samuels as well, who's also not a very nice man, but he apologized. And Jimmy, I presume you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I do not. Oh, OK. There was an incident at a Revolution Pro uh, a Revolution Pro show not long ago, where basically the finish came too early because of an uh, accident. It was a botch. And uh, Shah Samuels and Josh Bowden took it upon themselves to try and kill time because the match ended early by, and because I don't know a hundred percent of the details, I'm going to skate over it and be a bit uh, vague because I don't have percent know, but basically they did some things to the referee. Oh, I have heard about this. You heard about this. So that referee ended up getting injured and Shah Samuels, Shah Samuels, sorry, slammed the referee and did protect him, and Josh Bodum did some things as well, but wasn't quite as gentle. And Shah Samuels has apologized on Twitter in a public statement uh, where he says that I fucked up, basically, and I shouldn't have done it, and I tried to protect him, but I tried to protect the match, and I shouldn't have done it, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Josh Bodum took the, op- took the option of blaming the referee and just deleting his Twitter when footage of the event went out, and as since a Rev Pro have basically said we're not going to work with him, and Josh Bowden has said no, I quit. But who gives a fuck? He's deleted his Twitter and fucked off and blamed everyone else. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, the referee whose name's gone 
did get hurt and uh hopefully he'll be back and everything like that but yeah but yeah they beat those two josh Bodum and shah samuels in the finals of the tournament an event called summer sizzler on october on august sorry 30th to earn the right of this match uh but i thought they were good i'd never seen gorillas of destiny in a match before but i've heard a lot about them and i thought tamatonga good god that man can jump yes he can he can he move is an, for sure he is an athletic man i've seen tangaloa in nxt and i think on takeovers i think myself and rahul uh on a previous podcast network might have seen him in one of our in a takeover retro series that we did and I thought I thought they were I thought they had some good tandem offense as well. I mean, Carl Fletcher, being the smaller guy, obviously took most of the heat, took most of the punishment. He screams a lot, which I found a bit off-putting at times. Like he would take a move and then be like, ah, very good few seconds. There was a lot of there was a lot of like exasperated sort of like I I don't know if it was the like the mic under the ring or like the mics around the ringside area that like were turned up too loud because like, especially when commentary wasn't, uh, wasn't there, you could just like hear like, ah, it's just like, if you weren't really paying attention, like you could honestly think you'd be, you were watching something else, you know, like it just, it was not, <laughs> it was just a bunch of dudes, like, like sort of grunting and yelling a lot. One thought I had throughout this was it was because of Carl Fletcher's exaggerated screaming. I kind of thought, you never hear them calling anything, though. And I kind of just thought, good God, that, that's really good. Like, sometimes you'll hear it if it's like, if it's um, someone we'll get to later in the podcast, but a man who you can't, you, you can't see him, mostly because this is an audio format and partly because you can't see him. But sometimes you'll hear him calling spots. And yeah, for sure. Other people, but accidentally. But then you hear, like, as you say, the ring mics picked up a lot of stuff, but you never heard them saying anything to each other, which I thought, God, that must be a really difficult thing to work out because I'm, I'm a loud motherfucker. Like, oh, my, yeah. mic is, my mic is set on low because I talk really loud. Yeah, I really like this match, and... Aussie Open won me over, I already said. I mean, a couple of points that I will bring up from this match. Again, we're harping on the bloody production thing that we said we weren't going to. But it turns out, Jimmy, we're liars. Because when the Bullet Club or the Gorillas of Destiny, tank, uh, Tamatonga and Tangaloa, attacked Aussie Open at the beginning, the bloody camera wasn't even looking at the match. <laughs> and, uh, it had to cut back to the ring, which I just thought was really funny. Oh, yeah, and then weren't they, like, on the, the crowd or something? Yeah, they were looking at the crowd, and then the commentators, you could ju- you could just about hear them because, unfortunately, again, production issues, that can't be helped. That's nothing to do with the wrestling. Uh, we're kind of saying, oh, Bullet Club attack, blah, 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 blah. But they weren't even looking at them. But there was some great tag team offense that I think you've already mentioned. There was some, especially from Aussie Open, there was some really inventive stuff as well i think there was one move they did that kind of looked like an alabama slam from mark davis but instead carl fletcher catches him and hits a spine buster or a sit out spine buster that was really cool uh there was some other really great i think mark davis did a great job as being the big guy getting the hot tag 
he did a cool cartwheel thing at one point when Grizz Destiny tried to do a double Irish whip to him. He cartwheeled and then hit a double clothesline. I feel Tamatonga, as he said, has some insane hops. Tangaloa, I'm not certain what he brings to the team, Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, me neither. Uh, I me think neither. he's he's not necessary. The trouble they got is Tam. Uh, Tamatonga is good. He's a very explosive, very brilliant athlete. Right? He can leap, he can jump, he's strong as hell. Tangelo is the same height, the same weight, but he can't do the athletic things that Tamatonga can do. Because you had Tamatonga doing great drop kicks at this point. He was doing flips over the rope and everything like that. And yeah, but I thought I, I, I did actually enjoy this match. So I thought it was a really good match. Uh, Gridis Destiny ended up winning with a super power bomb off the rope, where one of them, I think, uh, Tamatonga lifted Carl Fletcher up onto Tangaloa's shoulders, who was on the rope, and then they hit a he hit a power bomb from the rope for the one, two, three. They did hit a diving headbutt, diving splash, kind of in the vein of how the Usos do their double splash. Uh huh. Uh, but Carl Fletcher kicked out of that. So they were really putting over Carl Fletcher. Did you get that vibe as well, that they were trying to make Carl Fletcher look as strong as possible? Because he didn't need assistance to kick out of those moves. I think the 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 thing that the Gorillas of Destiny um, can be uh, awarded for the most in this match is that they made sure these guys got over. Um, when Mark Davis got the hot tag at one point, I believe it was Tamatanga went to clothesline him. He just ran right through it into Tangaloa and then turned around and hit Ta- Tamatanga again. They sold for these guys really well. And I really think that it's good on them for, for like putting these guys over who like earned the right to be there. And like they made them, they made them seem somewhat important. And I, I'm a big proponent of uh, putting guys over like that, especially when, they're not used to being on such a big stage like this. I mean, granted, Rev Pro isn't some podunk shindy promotion, but like, it, this is New Japan. You know, like this is one of the bigger promotions in the world, and for these guys, arguably the biggest tag team in New Japan right now, to go out of their way and put them over like this was pretty fantastic. Hundred percent agree. Like we've never mentioned, and that's that's on me that they had a was it Nate Shado Hado, uh, Jado, Jado on the outside, and he he had a cane, and he did hit he hit Carl Fletcher at one point, he hit Mark Davis at one point, but Mark Davis no sold the cane shot, and that's what kind of left the Tangaloa taking him out. So we do need to mention that. So Gorillas of Destiny didn't win clean; they needed help from Shado. And he's just saying that put Aussie Open over strong. And I know for a fact Aussie Open have been on the indie scene been doing great things over here in the UK for various promotions. Uh, so yeah, they did put them over strong. So that's that's the main thing to take away with this. Do you, do you see a future for Aussie Open in New Japan? Do you think maybe we're going to see them pop up more and more? Or do you I, would so. I would hope so. I yeah. would hope that they're maybe like in the world tag league tournament or they're just they just start showing up because i think that they'd be fun to have in the heavyweight tag division over there in new japan um but yeah like you said like they didn't win exactly clean because they had jado on the outside there but i would have loved to see more of that from the other 
one, two, the other two Bullet Club matches that were on here. Like, why didn't, oh, I'm sorry, three Bullet Club matches? Why didn't Jay White and Chase Owens, Taiji Ishimori and Phantasmo or uh, Yujiro Takahashi and uh, Hikolo use Hikula? Whatever. Um, like, why didn't the other three like teams of the Bullet Club do anything that even remotely resembled who the Bullet Club really is that they break rules. That's like who they are. And they didn't do that until the girl is a destiny did it. Who frankly, like they were the only team that I expected not to break the rules with. Like I expected them to just come out and be one of the tag teams, you know, like be somebody who's going to like just have a match. But meanwhile, the other matches were the ones where they just had a match. Just a weird thing. As you were saying, I was just thinking to myself, cause that's a really good point. Um, I feel like we could have used. I don't know if this is New Japan style, so I might be saying something that's not New Japan style. We could have used just a backstage segment, WWE style, with the Bullet Club after the. Because they've lost three matches in a row. Yeah. We could have used a backstage segment of some kind where they were like, hey, we're the bloody Bullet Club, blah, blah, blah. We're, the Gorillas of Destiny be like, we're going to go show you how it's done. And then they go beat Aussie Open and be like, yeah, that's how it's fucking done. But I don't know if that's a New Japan thing to do. So I don't want to step on it and be like, yeah, do what WWE do um, in case I'm missing something. But I feel like as a viewer, as a non-viewer, I don't know why all those teams are Bullet Club and why they don't seem to care that they've lost three in a row. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I don't know if what I'm saying means I need to watch more New Japan. I don't because the crowd is still super fucking into it, which is the only reference point I have. Um, so, but yeah. Tangaloa and Tamatonga end up retaining. Aussie Open put up a hell of a fight. It took cheating to beat them. I think that's probably not the last time we see them. But we've got our three singles matches. We've got a triple main event set up, is what I'm presuming. The Never Open Weight Championship. I don't know if that's a promotion or if that means it's never open weight. I don't know what that means. But uh, the champ. I think Sorry, never. On. I think never is uh, it was a promotion maybe let me um let's see here uh never is a professional wrestling championship owned by new japan never is an acronym of the terms new blood evolution validity uh, eternal and radical um so it was set up okay. it, it was set up within the promotion uh that it's it's an open weight title uh with like strong style rules so because it's been a while since this show i think it's fair to say this we're gonna break this down in two parts we are well aware of what happened in this match so i think let's treat this as two parts let's then say our piece on what happened and then let's just move on do you think that's fair jimmy oh absolutely absolutely so we get a cool video package which really helped me and the singles matches did have they're very different style to the WWE ones if you've not watched this show, but they do explain what's happened. Uh, sorry, excuse me, Jimmy. I need to clear my throat before I do this. <coughs> Kenta joined New Japan Pro Wrestling and was in some kind of tag match with Tomohiro Ishii. Uh, he turned his back on him. 
He hit the running knee, which is his move. It's not Daniel Bryan's move. Daniel Bryan got it from him. And he joined the Bullet Club. Shibata came out, which becomes incredibly fucking ironic in a minute, and um, beat him up. And then Kenta beat up Shibata, hit the running dropkick, blah, 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 blah. He gets a shot at the never-open-weight title held by the Pitbull, Tomohiro Ishii, who is fucking terrifying-looking. He is a terrifying-looking man who suddenly... (laughs) I don't know if this is unfair or not. I thought from the video package and from his entrance that Tomohiro Ishii was some kind of really big guy. And it turned out he's a lot shorter than Kenta. Yeah. That that made me laugh when he stood up to him and I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) And uh, we have our never open weight championship. Kenta is now in the bullet club. I'm going to stop shouting it because my throat hurts a wee bit. And... um, yeah, we have our match. The match starts off really well. Kenta gets Kenta is a absolutely booed out of the building heel. Everyone fucking hates him. He turned his back on everything. Apparently, the story is that that corner drop kick that he does, that Shibata does, that was actually Kenta's. The running knee that Daniel Bryan does in WWE, that was adopted from Kenta. They go to sleep, obviously. That's Kenta's move. It's not uh, CM Punk's, blah, blah, blah. Kenta feels like he's not getting the respect he deserves in wrestling, which, when you put it like that, that's actually probably true. Um, Kenta beat up Ishii, beat up Shibata. Never open weight title match, one-on-one. Kenta's healing it up. And let's start with the first 10 minutes. It's a bloody good match. Kenta is healing it up. He's beat those kicks are brutal. Ishii's trying his best, but Kenta is absolutely all of all over him. So just talk about the first ten minutes. What did you make in the match? I loved it. Uh I mean, at this point I was more than ready for something other than a tag match. And I love tag team wrestling uh just as much, if not a little bit more than the next guy. But um I like the never open weight stuff typically. Uh, just because I'm a fan of the strong style and not particularly in the form of what happens later on. But um, when they when these guys were coming out and Kenta was getting the reaction that he was getting, um, I, I, I needed to do it once. Um, when he came out and he was getting the reaction he was getting and then the fucking roof blew off the building when Ishii uh, came in. Uh, he is an incredibly scary man. Um and the, both of these guys looked like they were going to be willing to go out there and just brutalize each other. Um, it, it, I mean, the first 10 minutes of this match were really, really great. And then the, uh, the, the hammer sort of falls. And uh, this match takes a sort of weird turn. Yeah, so... What happens is the first kind of 10 minutes, which I'm guessing it happened, Ishii and Kenta are going back and forth. Big kicks, big strikes, typical New Japan stuff, forearm battles, blah, 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 blah. And about halfway through, Kenta, from all the research I've done, and I'm not going to pretend I went out of my way and went to a library and read a million books, 
I've done some looking at reports in the Observer, in the Pro Wrestling Torch, and um, a couple of other sites that seem to reference those two. So those are the two I'm going to go off at this point. So apologies if I'm still wrong. Kenta takes a from a power slam. He seems to slam his head against the floor. He doesn't bump properly. He then takes an accidental headbutt from Ishii. Um, at one point that seems to go slightly awry. And as Ishii goes off the ropes, Kenta drops to his knees and is out like a sack of potatoes. He, he's gone at that point. He is out cold. That's the reports I can get to as to what happened. He took a couple of bumps to the head and it went a bit awry. Now, at this point in. I am not medically trained in any aspect of life. But if that seems to all logic at that point from and don't listen to me for any sort of properly informed opinion. I would say the match probably Jimmy, would you agree that should have been it? Oh, go home. Yeah, 100%. I mean, even on commentary, um, Kevin Kelly and uh, the guy he was calling the match with, I still can't remember his name, he, they said, like, explicitly, Kenta's out. Kenta is yeah. out. Kenta, uh, from the way I, from what I was, wa- and this is just from me watching, and I, um, I may have heard it on uh, some podcast uh, where he does, he does the German suplex, but he doesn't have the extension on uh, because Ishii, for those who are unfamiliar, is built like a bulldog. He is all like one shape all just over the place. Think, um, think Rhino. Yeah, yeah. Just for anyone more... that's not looked at Pigeon, just think Rhino. He's slightly shorter, just as wide. He looks like Rhino. Um, and he 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 uh, happens to just look like he gives. Um, a German suplex sort of like slightly incorrectly and um, the the, bo- the like the upper part of Ishii's back lands on Kenta's head um, and from from the second they landed there it already sort of looked because he was moving very slowly um, and then Ishii gives him uh, I think an over- overhead belly to belly or something, and Kenta is just sprawled out, face down on the ground. Um, he does like a whip off the ropes and goes to get him in something else, but then is literally just drops to his his knees. He th- this should have been it. That should have been totally it. Yeah. I get that you were booking Kenta to win the match. Just do a rematch. Just do a fucking rematch later on down the line when the should- guy. Well, um, I'm going to reference something else which doesn't really apply, and I'm going to reference Stone Cold Steve Austin's incident at SummerSlam 97. Uh, He obviously got, well, literally his neck broken, and he took a set-out tombstone from um, Owen Hart. What did they do? Uh, They took a moment. Stone Cold was fucked. But they did a schoolboy, a fucking awful schoolboy. Stone Cold Steve Austin will tell you that himself. That's not me disparaging what he did. One, two, three, they went home. And it's obviously not as severe as that. But you look at this and the rest of the, the next 
10 minutes of this match are worrying. Hard to watch. Uh, we're not going to spend too long on it because we don't want to criticize what the hell those guys were doing in the ring because we couldn't do we couldn't do it without having our heads fucking wrong. Like I can't do what these guys want to do right this second and there's nothing wrong with my head. I've not been dropped on it. But Kent is clearly out of it. The Gorillas of Destiny run in after a load of delays and a load of rear naked chokes and the crowd reaction begins to kind of go from loads of cheers to kind of loads of concern because Kenta is moving really badly. Uh, Gorillas of Destiny run out. Ishii kind of fights them off. Blah, 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 blah. And in the end, Kenta hits to go to sleep and gets the win. There's a moment after he's won where he tries to go up on the ropes on the turnbuckle to try and celebrate with the belt. He has two attempts at this. He can't do it. He's so out of it that he can't even step up on the turnbuckle on kind of the second rope of the turnbuckle where the guys go to generally pose. Uh, he can't do it. He gives up after two attempts. And um, yeah, it's kind of just, I don't want to spend too long on it. It's just uncomfortable to watch. Would you not agree? No, yeah. I mean, it got very uncomfortable to watch very early after he takes the bump uh, incorrectly. And then the Gorillas of Destiny coming out, like it definitely seemed like that was just an audible that got called. Like, hey, let's throw the Gorillas yeah. of Destiny out there. Uh, let's give let's give Kenta a little bit of time here. Just and even after that, match. even after that, the match wasn't called off. Um, eventually, yeah. Kenta does win, but like, I honestly don't even want to talk too much more about it because, like, this was just yeah, sad. There's, there's a couple of things in it. Like, it seemed like the Gorillas Destiny tried to hit the Magic Killer. Um, for those who are only WWE fans, that's what the club do, and they kind of messed it up. But blah blah blah, they called an audible. They ended up hitting it. And yeah, I was kind of of the opinion that I don't think the Gorillas Destiny. I couldn't find anything in the Observer. Or in the torch that said that was an audible, but maybe they don't know yet. Or maybe I didn't find it. So if anyone did, sorry if I missed it. But um, yeah, Kent uh, ends up getting the win. He's the new Never Open Weight Championship. He ended up, he did end up going to the hospital, but he's fine and he's out and he tweeted about it and um, blah, blah, blah. Let's just move on um, from that yeah. match because there was, there, this wasn't, for 10 minutes, this was a fantastic match. And uh, let's just leave it at that. We end up moving on to Tanahashi versus Zack Sabre Jr. for the Revolution Pro British Championship. Ref Pro is a British promotion for anyone that doesn't know what that is. There's a great video package. <laughs> My favorite part of the video package is when Zack Sabre Jr. He's apparently lost a couple of G1 matches. I don't know anything about the g1 and he's just lying on the floor of this room sweating like anything and the cameras is pointing all he goes is the g1 is fucking bollocks yeah yeah that was great <laughs> that was just really he is just throwing all of his toys out of the pram at one point and is just going like no no this is bullshit this fucking, this is fucking, fucking g1 bollocks man you know like yeah it's just amazing. And then in the classic British accent thing, just hearing him be like, um, to be like, yeah, it's just fucking bollocks. G1 is fucking bollocks, man. And everything like that. 
So we just move on, move on to that. Yeah. So Tanahashi and Zack Sabre Jr. come out. Tanahashi, go ace. And I think this is where they zoomed in that blonde woman who clearly didn't want to be there. Oh yeah, there were multiple. There were multiple people who didn't want to be there. You could tell every time they went to the crowd, and it was just like, like, oh, okay, honey, this is that thing you like. Awesome, cool. <laughs> Go ace, and uh, so it's a wonder actually... why. It's a wonder why they're not here more. No way. <laughs> <laughs> we Zach Saber Junior. Obviously, even though he's coming out as the heel, he gets a hell of a reaction. There's a old Zack Sabre Jr. chant because the British people obviously we're known for our chants. Uh, that was a great one. And yeah, huge pop for Zack Sabre Jr. This starts off with some, as you can expect from Zack Sabre Jr., some incredible technical wrestling. And Tanahashi showed that he can easily keep up. He can easily do that as well. It starts off with everything like that. Uh, commentary at one point started talking about British politics, but then speaking to a few people after this, or a couple of people from Rogue Opinions as well, they kind of Zack Sabre Jr. has apparently been leaning into that in his in his promos, talk about Boris Johnson and Brexit and blah 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 blah. I'm not going to. Wasn't get into there that a, a Brexit chant or something? Like yeah. I vaguely remember hearing some sort of Brexit chant. That was going on. Yeah, there was. But then I think you and uh, someone else as well kind of told me that Zack Sabre Jr. has been leading into that for his promos. So I'm not going to use it as a point against him, even though it's about the horse shit. And, uh, but incredible technical wrestling. This was easily my match of the night. Oh, for, some, for sure. For sure. Yeah, used some great submission attempts. Zack Sabre Jr., good I've seen a couple of his matches because I actually saw him live at a WCPW show oh, as awesome. well. Good God, that guy makes everything looks real. Everything looks legit. Everything looks like it would break you in half. Um, even when he's reaching for body parts where you see in a lot of wrestling, they'll give you the arm or something. No, he doesn't. He headbutts the arm. He elbows people in the shoulder to grab it he makes everything look real like he good i'm scared of him so then that that leads me now that i have three in mind that leads me to something a little nice and lighthearted. um shag mary kill tomohoro (laughs) ishii zach saber jr minoru suzuki I can't kill Mizuru Suzuki. And that's not me saying... I don't think anybody I, can. Yeah. That's not me saying I couldn't try and do it. I just couldn't. Unless I can get behind him sneaky like a coward. But even... So, I think... Shag, marry, kill. I think I could kill if I came from behind Zack Sabre Jr. Because he's very slender... And I think if I got a chain around his neck quickly, mm-hmm. I could do it. Um, I would have to marry to marry, sorry, Minoru Suzuki. Well, because I think that would be his decision, and not, and you would have nothing to say about it. Oh yeah, he would be like, "I am marrying this man." No, he wouldn't call me a man. He would call me a boy, and quite rightly. Um, 
And then I guess I would have to shag Tomohiro Ishii because I couldn't kill him because he's too big and strong. Uh, unless, do I have a sniper rifle? I don't think the method of death is important, uh, more so than just, like, your choices in the matter. Okay, then I would... Okay, if that doesn't matter, then I would probably... Oh, I don't want to talk about politics all the time, so I, I would still kill Zack Sabre Jr. <laughs> <laughs> I love that we so still got like, to the same point. Where it's like, fuck this guy, well, he's going to talk about Brexit all the time. That's part of his gimmick, which probably makes me think it's part of his general person. So, I would kill... Zack Sabre Jr., I would shag Tomohiro Ishii, and I would marry Minoru Suzuki. Okay, yeah. yeah. I, mean, uh, I, um, I think I would probably kill Minoru Suzuki because I wouldn't be able to marry or shag him because I don't how think I could ever... How would you kill him? Oh, um... Okay, you remember how um, the Wile E. Coyote would try and catch the Roadrunner? Yeah. Yeah, like I would, I would have to buy some sort of catapult, or paint a, like, paint like a tunnel on a large rock, and try and outsmart him, and maybe drop a huge rock on him and and kill him, um, something like that. Because I'm sure that if Minoru Suzuki wanted to fuck me, or marry me, I would be the one being pursued. So like, I would have to be running away, trying to figure out at at in any and all ways um to do that uh maybe more of like a uh like a home alone situation where i'd have to set up some traps uh or whatnot um i think i would shag zack saber jr and i'd marry ishii because my house would always be protected by this large strong man and on that like a one night stand with zack saber jr would be fun i guess he could bend you into a lot of different moves and positions and stuff. And you really wouldn't have to talk about politics. It's just a one night thing. So I think that would be the way I'd go. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't being American, but he would probably be like, Oh, so which way did you vote? And I'd be like, Oh, fuck off Zach. And then he'd like stretch me into a million positions and, you know, Oh yeah. You'd probably feel, you'd probably feel great after like, you'd be like, Oh man, it'd be like having a sports massage. But I don't know. He's very tight. He's very skinny, and like I feel like his joints would hurt if they dig into you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a stick insect. But uh, I mean, I'm sure Tanahashi felt that way as well, because these guys had a technical masterclass. Uh, the PK kick, as they kept talking about, is very cool. It's just mm-hmm. a running. Penalty, penalty kick. I'm isn't guessing what it stands for. More than likely, um, Tanahashi actually makes the sling blade look like it hurts. Just giving away Zack Saber Junior lands. He actually lands on his shoulders, whereas when Finn Balor and Seth Rollins do it, the guys just kind of fall over like they've been blown over by the wind. Yeah, uh, good. When Zack Saber Junior did that, it was like an armbar thing. Where he trapped one arm, so it was kind of like the yes lock. But then he reached round and battered Tanahashi's other arm and just bent him over. Mm-hmm. I started to wince. I was just like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> he just made it. Some of the holds Zack Sabre Jr. was putting out genuinely 
made my eyes water when I was looking at him. <laughs> I was like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, it was rather uh, intense. Yeah, some of the stuff that he was able to pull out. Oh, it was just horrible. It was a technical masterclass all over the place. The crowd were really in they were kind of split even though Zack Sabre Jr. is from the UK, but I feel like that's that's a testament to how great Zack Sabre Jr. is as a heel and how great Tanahashi is as a face. That in the UK, Zack Sabre Jr. couldn't get the whole crowd behind or didn't have the whole crowd behind him. Uh, Tanahashi ended up winning. He hit, what was it, a dragon suplex that got a near fall and then the big frog splash for the win. And he's the new Rev Pro British Heavyweight Champion. Unexpected, I felt. I thought Zack Sabre Jr. surely in the UK was going to get the big win what did you make of it uh, uh yeah like like you said I, I couldn't agree more that this was just sort of a, a technical masterpiece these guys uh have worked together a handful of times uh hiroshi tanahashi has gone for the british title uh multiple times i think they said the first time he went for a, a british title like in britain was in like 2006 so like for 13 years uh tanahashi's just sort of been in and around the british scene uh and like even though he is a japanese wrestler who wrestles a japanese style that big sort of japanese style he all he is also very widely respected and sought after in the british scene as well because he can be very hard hitting and take a lot of punishment from his his opponents and i think he was able to stand toe-to-toe with uh saber Jr. and I think even in defeat, Zack Sabre Jr. looked great. Um, I think it was time for him to lose the belt. I think they'd said something about where he has like 960 some odd days combined as British champion. So it is interesting to see what they're going to do with this title next because it seems almost like it's like it's as much of a New Japan title as it is a Rev Pro title. Yeah, they seem to have some kind of working relationship with Pro and New Japan. I can't pretend to know the ins and outs of it. But this was just a phenomenal match. For me, this was match of the night. And it was technically masterful. So I'm going to give it lasagna. Oh, nice. Just a technical layered marvel. Just a homemade beautiful lasagna. And yeah. But onwards we go. Go Ace. As the crowd kept saying, even after this match, go Ace. And we head into the. Go Ace. And we head. All right, I'm done. (laughs) We go into the. (laughs) Jimmy, you usually do this. Do you want to announce it? It is now time for our main event of the evening. Kazuchika Okada defending the IWGP Heavyweight Championship against Minoru Suzuki. This match goes 33 minutes. Holy shit. God damn. They show a nice video piece, sorry, of every IWGP Heavyweight Champion beforehand. Some big cheers out there. Brock Lesnar got a big cheer. AJ Styles got a big cheer. Kenny Omega got a big cheer. Scott Norton didn't. And, uh... Yeah, we head into it. Kazuchika Okada, can I read for you word for word what I wrote about his appearance? Please, please. 
I wrote Okada looks like the side character in an anime. He does. That's, yeah, that's just what does, I yeah. felt about him. Yeah, he looked like the side character. It looks like when in animes, there tends to be long distances between villages that are actually giant cities. He looks like the leader of a side village. And oh, yeah, he would weird. definitely be he would definitely be like a mob boss or something that ran like a large, like a mid-sized city in some anime that they would come across and he would have like a like an arc. And then he would stick around and you'd see him every once in a while. And then in like the end game of it all, he'd come back and help out, even though he was like the reluctant good guy to help the main good guy. Yeah, he looks like he has a grasp on economics. Well, with all that money he's throwing around, like. Oh, yeah. But um, Minoru Suzuki looks God terrifying. Oh, yeah ever be within 10 feet of Minoru Suzuki because I am a weak man and he is a strong man uh, they have a goddamn long match Minoru Suzuki is 51 yeah and he's been wrestling since 1988 he is a scary merfucker they have a good video package beforehand. Minoru Suzuki did some stuff, demanded the match. Apparently, he's the king. I'm not questioning him. Oh, no. Good luck if you are. Uh, they have a very New Japan match, from what I can tell. They trade forearms. Okada works over Minoru Suzuki's knee at one point, but then they forget about it and pretend that never happened. Uh, Minoru Suzuki works over Okada's arm at one point. The commentators bring up the fact that's his Rainmaker arm but then they kind of forget about it after five minutes and no one ever brings it up again. And uh, that's me talk about their selling, by the way. They just mm-hmm. never, it just never happened after about five minutes. Forearm battle for what felt like a millennium. Um, I think I aged during that forearm, the first forearm battle. I'm pretty sure I'm now a different human because I it went. definitely fell asleep during the forearm battle after a oh, while. It went on for so good- long. God, it went on for literal five minutes. And um, Minoru Suzuki was doing his punch, and we were just like, we get it. We get it, Okada. And then Okada fought back. There was some other stuff. Blah. They went on the outside at one point. I lost track of it. Minoru Suzuki did a run down the ramp and a PK kick. It was about the 50th one of this show. Um, Minoru Suzuki, the story... the. When you filter through all that horse shit, the actual story of the match was Minoru Suzuki get going for the Cole Gotch style pile driver, which if you don't know what it is, it's if you watch WWE, it's Cesaro's grip on the neutralizer, but you fall back into a pile driver. Minoru Suzuki went for that about five or six times. He couldn't get it. Okada ends up hitting the tombstone pile driver, which apparently is less effective than a spin out clothesline known as the Rainmaker for the one, two, three. And Okada is still your IWGP heavyweight champion. It was a good match. I'd have to be invested in the New Japan style to say I enjoyed it. I didn't enjoy all the slaps and the forearm battles. It's just not my thing. But the crowd was super into it, so I don't want to call it a bad match because it clearly was a good New Japan match. Do you get what I mean? 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, um, this match, um, it's like one of those situations where, like, it's just move, 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 move. And the selling, it, it's there, and then it's not there. And, and then the match just goes on for so long that, like, you start to, like, forget stuff or you start to, like, fall out of that that believability circle, you know? And um, overall, I think it's the right decision. I don't think having Minoru Suzuki as world champion is very good. But uh, I have a question for you, Nathan. Did you notice that uh, about a couple matches ago, uh, Kenta versus Ishii and onward, all of a sudden we got, like, name graphics? I know we said we weren't going to discuss production too much, but, like... For the singles matches, they all got name graphics. They all got video packages. And, and Pyro, I, the champions got Pyro. Pyro, yeah. I, I was, I did notice that, and I was reluctant to bring it up as a production thing because I don't know if that's just a New Japan thing that the that's champions get. Pyro. I understand. Everybody normally gets uh, the the Pyro, maybe, but like the um the name. The name graphics and stuff like that should be coming up for every match. You'd hope so, because that really hurt my knowing who people were, which was a real in case you guys haven't noticed in this podcast. I have struggled with knowing who people are. And um, I don't think that's a secret. But. Yeah, they all the singles matches did get they suddenly were treated very seriously by the commentators, by the production staff. And everything like that. I mean, for all the production problems, by the time we got to the main event, they were spot on. Like they knew what they were doing at this point. They finally got it. They were kind of they nothing was wrong in this match other than the fact the hard camera was pointed at the fucking ramp the whole time. But um I think you're I don't know much, if anything, about New Japan, but I feel like it's probably right to not put the title on a fifty one year old Minoru Suzuki, however fucking terrifying that man is and he is scary um i don't understand the new japan style of just putting your hands behind your back and taking strikes i don't get it it's not for me but the crowd was super into it so i can't shit on it too much because clearly i'm in a minority of six thousand people there weren't 7,500 people there. That's a lie. But there may have been 6,000 people there and they were super into it. I don't get it. I found that 10 minutes exhausting um, of just watching Suzuki and Okada put their hands behind their back and go, no, you hit me. Ah, now I hit you. Um, but I did, I did enjoy the match overall. I preferred the one before, but there we go. I thought it was a decent main event. Yeah, I think it, it it felt like a big deal the match. But like, I have to agree with you that like, I have another question for you. Did you realize that the brain lives in where they were forearming each other for ten minutes? You know what, Jimmy? As a not very well educated man, I did realize that. Wow, they're really smacking each other in the head. I also realized we had a man who had his brain scrambled two matches ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you are getting I I don't I don't get it, but the bit that usually 
you know what? Usually in these podcasts, we shit on stuff that's bad. And we shit on stuff fairly that's bad. And I want to really hammer this, but the crowd loved it. So I can't. And I just realized I don't get if this is the New Japan style, I don't get it. And I don't understand it. And maybe I need to open my wrestling eyes, which I'm not going to do because I don't have the time to watch more wrestling than I do. And I already don't watch a lot of wrestling because Gears 5 came out and I've only played half of it and I want to play more of it. And I want to do my job, but I don't, I, I did, you know, I, I just didn't understand this main event. I don't understand the hands behind your back taking strikes to the face and acting like, can I take them? I don't understand the slapping each other in the face the whole time. I I didn't get it, but the crowd was super into it and I did enjoy the wrestling parts of it. But yes, to answer your question, I am aware that they punched each other in the head a lot of times. Yeah, and the brain lives in there and that's pretty necessary for uh for you know living and being comfortable and you know knowing how to remembering fourth grade math you know just you know <laughs> things like that or remembering what time your flight is to go back to japan to continue getting hit in the face but if i had to if i had to rate this show i would give it a solid i don't know fucking thumbs down 100 percent. when you have a show that has a match on it where a man is injured to the point where he needs to go to the hospital and that match is not stopped for the sake of storyline. Um, then, um, and I'm sorry if this sounds a little harsh, but you can go fuck yourself. Like th- this is the, a lot on this show went a little too far for me. Uh, aside from Tanahashi versus Saber jr. Uh, the rest of the show I could probably have done without Aussie open was really good. Uh, I enjoyed them a lot. Um, I'm not even going to bother mentioning Ishii versus Kenta again because that was disgraceful. The main event was good. It felt like a big match, but I mean, the rest of the, sh- the, the rest of the tag matches at the beginning are pretty all forgettable. And um, I don't think in five or six months, New Japan is really going to be talking about it, let alone us. So, Yeah, um, I'm going to give it... Um... I'm going to give a really inside reference into me um, and at rating. I'm going to give it Goonies. Okay. I'm going to give it Goonies because I didn't watch the Goonies until I was 19. And everyone seemed to love it. And I just didn't get it because I wasn't a kid. Yeah, I guess you missed the boat. Yeah, I missed a boat. I missed a boat on Goonies. It's good if you like. Um, it's good if you like kid shit. And I just didn't watch it when I was a kid, so I'm going to give it Goonies because the crowd loved it, and I didn't get it. Yeah, that's good. That's a very astute uh, rating for the show. I definitely agree with you. I didn't get a lot of it either, and I've watched uh, a handful of New Japan stuff. But then again, wrestling is subjective, and this wasn't for us. Whoa, Nathan from the future here. Sorry to interrupt, but the Shasman Nasty Review will now be in a separate podcast, which means we didn't do an outro for this one, so here it comes, all the way from the future. 
I'm at Nathan Greenway. Check back through the archives. Kayfabe Court just went up. Jimmy is at Mr. Wright. That is M-R-R-I-0-T because Call of Duty was a thing when he was a kid. Ha <laughs> ha. Only joking. It's Counter-Strike. Bye now. Bye <laughs> now.